It's been a bleak year for the stock market, which, despite some short-term rallies, is still firmly entrenched in bear market territory. So where do we go from here? A source of great uncertainty is around the path of inflation, and that is also going to carry over into the path of the equity market. I'm Alison Nathan, and this is Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. To help us understand the drivers behind the equity market volatility and the road ahead, I'm sitting down with David Costin, Chief U.S. Equity Strategist for Goldman Sachs Research. David, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Allison. Nice to be here. So let's start with this roller coaster ride that we've been on with U.S. stocks this year. The S&P 500 has been down as much as 25% peak to trough. We're now bouncing around the lower edge of that range. But one day we're in a rally, the next day we're in a sell-off. Give us some context on what we're seeing and what's driving these moves. My belief is that it is inflation and the expectations on Federal Reserve policy that have been the key drivers of the equity market. So it's really been a macro-driven market, to use that terminology, as compared with more micro-developments at the company level. Of course, the micro-developments matter for individual stocks, but at the overall index level, it's been shifting perceptions on whether inflation is going to be coming a little bit lower or whether it's actually remaining high. And therefore, by extension, will the Federal Reserve have to lean in harder in terms of raising rates more aggressively or whether there'll be the proverbial pivot and they'll be able to move towards a shallower trajectory of interest rate hikes. Now, to be fair, the Goldman Sachs expectation is that the inflation rate will be coming lower and the Fed will be raising rates several more times this year in early part of 2023. And therefore, the equity market forecast that we have is the index level. The S&P 500 will close the year around 3,600, which is down modestly from the current level and will be down for a while in the early part of next year until some evidence builds that the inflation rate is coming lower. On the other hand, if there is a belief that the Fed is going to be hiking a lot and moving into a recessionary territory, then the equity market could be trading lower. And so we want to think about that as a trader, that the index level in three months time at the end of the year, probably somewhere between 3,400 and 3,600. Those are sort of some levels to think about for the end of the year. And as we think about next year, broadly speaking, the equity market moves higher by the end of 2023. But in a recessionary scenario, you could hit a low of around 3,150 or so. That's actually meaningfully below where we are now. So yeah, so you think the market can move moderately lower from here, even on our mainline scenario. But if we think about, there's been so many big down days. There's been some up days too, but there's been so many big down days. How are investors positioned right now on equities and how does that inform your view? So Allison, our data would suggest that investors are relatively lightly positioned, which is to say they are below average in terms of their exposure. This would represent positioning across the retail investor community, the institutional investor community, which would be both hedge funds and mutual funds, foreign investors. All of these categories are somewhat below their average level of exposure. One way to think about this would be the cash levels for equity mutual funds, which are currently around two and a half percent of their equity holdings compared with one and a half earlier this year. So they've raised their cash positions and the net leverage of the hedge fund community has declined by almost 20 percentage points from around 85% net leverage to around 65% net leverage. Those are two strong indications of a relatively risk-off positioning in their portfolios right now. 
So with real yields now in positive territory, so interest rates adjusted for inflation, you've written that we're moving from a TINA mindset that really had prevailed for quite some time. TINA meaning there is no alternative to equities and in particular U.S. equities to a Terra mindset. So there are reasonable alternatives. What does that mean for equity demand going forward, especially since a lot of these investors are underinvested right now? So the idea of going from TINA, T-I-N-A, there is no alternative, to TARA, there are reasonable alternatives, is an important construct when we think about the supply and demand of equities. So first of all, with the interest rates on short-term cash positions starting to approach 4% means that from an income point of view is a pretty attractive rate of return, sort of in cash return terms, as compared with the risk-adjusted returns you're going to be getting in equity market where while earnings may be rising potentially in an economic scenario that's a soft landing, there's obviously downside risk in the event of inflation, and there's much more volatility in terms of the path of the market as we've been discussing today. So So the idea of pure cash returns pushing almost 4% and the expectation that the Fed funds rate will be somewhere between four and a quarter and four and a half percent by the early part of next year, that would suggest that there is reasonable alternatives just on the cash positions alone. And that, I think, would be something we are focused a lot on where the sources of demand, where they may be in the case of equities. Now, the biggest source of demand for the last 10 years, and likely to continue to be the biggest source of demand for shares, is corporate repurchases. And so that is a source of cash and demand for shares that is likely to remain in existence, despite the fact, while there may be reasonable alternatives for asset allocators, individuals, households, mutual funds, pension funds, other investors, corporates sitting there with very large, pretty still high profit margins, likely to be spending quite a lot of money repurchasing their stock as we move into the fourth quarter. After earnings season, There's a blackout period. Companies are prohibited from repurchasing shares during the earnings period until they report results and then they can resume repurchases. And we think that'll probably take place by the middle of November. So you mentioned the upcoming earnings season. It's going to be closely watched because all investors are looking for indicators of the path of the economy. So how important is this earnings season and what metrics are you most closely watching? This earnings season will be very consequential. If we want to think about the comparison in the middle of September, when the CPI reading came out for the Consumer Price Index, it was a big surprise that it increased more than people were anticipating. In fact, investors were expecting it to decline and it moved in the entirely the other direction. The comparison would be for equity markets is the upcoming third quarter earnings season. It will kick off on the 14th of October and will extend for about three weeks. And in that period of time, we are expecting year-over-year earnings growth to be around 4%. That's the current consensus expectation. Of course, that is going to benefit from energy companies showing earnings growth of more than 100%. If we remove the energy sector, the earnings for the market are going to be down. This will be notable. They'll be down around 2%. And that is the first time we'll see a decline in the level of earnings since the recovery from the pandemic. Particularly of focus will be the margins. And corporate margins, we would anticipate declining, which is not something we've seen for uh, some time. And the idea of a decline in margins is definitely not anticipated by the consensus expectations. The sources of the Decline in margins are likely to be a strong U.S. dollar, which is a big headwind for companies when they translate 
foreign sales into domestic related profits in terms of their accounting representation. So that's one source of headwind. The second is higher labor costs, higher materials costs, et cetera. So these are going to be big headwinds for corporate earnings, corporate margins as a result, corporate earnings. To put some context around that, we see in the first quarter expectations were plus 5% year-over-year growth and the companies actually reported plus 12. If we think about the second quarter, expectations were plus 6% or so, and it came in at plus 10% growth. And now we're expectations around plus four, and given the headwinds, likely to be disappointing compared with the last couple of quarters. But as you just said, the market was pessimistic for the first two quarters of the year. So what's the chances that it's going to end up a better result again? Anything is possible. It is not so probable in our estimation, in part because some of the major companies have pre-announced and given negative guidance with respect to their overall business activities. So there's different companies in industrial sector, companies in technology that have been giving a description of the upcoming, not just earnings season, but the forecast into 2023 as a more challenging environment. Many companies would probably agree with that. I think we'll hear that story from managements in their conference calls that take place right after the earnings season. So a key feature of this difficult environment is tightening financial conditions. What equity sectors and or styles are still working in that environment? You mentioned the strong returns in energy companies. Are there any other sectors that are outperforming? So the most important macro development that's taking place across financial markets are the tightening of financial conditions. And the tightening of financial conditions, of course, is a big focus on the part of what the Fed is going to do. But there are other attributes of financial conditions that are tightening. Higher bond yields, wider credit spreads, stronger dollar, lower equity prices. All of those are generally contributors to a tightening financial conditions environment. And in that kind of a backdrop, the type of companies in the equity market that tend to do well are companies with stronger balance sheets, companies with higher return metrics, return on equity, return on capital, companies with less drawdown in terms of their share prices, more stable growth in terms of different metrics. So those are the attributes, if you will, quality attributes that are likely to be rewarded by investors in the uncertain environment of tightening financial conditions. And I think that's a broad statement about how we would position portfolios in terms of it tilting towards higher quality as compared with a lower quality portfolio, for example, weaker balance sheets that in another context might be a good place to be. And that would not be the characterization of what we are going into in the fourth quarter. Of course, long duration stocks and notably tech has been among the hardest hit sectors this year. So when can we expect tech to rebound? So the story of the U.S. equity market this year has really been about rates and the impact of higher bond yields. So at the start of the year, the U.S. equity market traded at 21 times forward earnings. Today, the market trades at around 15 times forward earnings. And that big multiple compression has been concentrated in particular in the highest growth companies. These are companies where their revenue growth are expected to be above 20 or 30%. And many of those stocks have derated or having multiple compression of perhaps 50 to 60, even more percent decline. And that is, in some cases, heavily concentrated in some of the technology companies where they are really forecast to have very strong growth. A company with very strong earnings growth means a large percentage of the valuation of the company is attributable to the 
earnings that are well into the future. And that would be characteristic of a long duration stock. Companies where their earnings power is closer to the present time, so a nearer term, would have shorter duration. And that gap between shorter duration stocks and longer duration stocks has been very significant in terms of the relative performance. So technology companies tend to be longer duration equities, and they are still well challenged. And so I would separate the technology sector into two pieces, companies that are forecast to have very rapid revenue growth, those would be longer duration companies. They're more challenged in this environment because rates are likely to stay high. Companies with more near-term visibility on their cash flows and technology likely to do better in the environment that we're anticipating. So given the strong outperformance of the energy sector, has that affected the composition of the S&P 500 in any meaningful way? So one of the arguments we put forward for energy sector is that the sector is currently generating around 9 to 10% of the earnings of the market, but it only comprises around 5% of the equity capitalization. And over time, going back 40 years, energy has tended to punch its weight in the sense that the share of earnings and the share of equity capitalization tends to be pretty similar. And so the idea that it is generating far more earnings than it is as a weight in the market would be suggestive that if those earnings can be delivered, that the weighting in the market should increase. And as a result, that's a, another way of calculating and showing the outperformance. And so the argument would be that if energy prices stay high and the energy earnings can be delivered, those companies should be outperforming. And that is an area of emphasis for our team in terms of sector recommendations. What I'm taking away from our conversation is that the range of possible paths is just much wider than it's been historically. But do you have a view on when this volatility might start to subside? The clarity on inflation is critical. Clarity on the path of forward inflation would indicate some clarity in terms of the Federal Reserve policy and interest rate policy. And that will be a trigger for the investors to be more confident in the outlook for corporate earnings. And that would be, I'd say, the linchpin for what would cause equity volatility to decline and for equity prices, if you will, to move higher. So a source of great uncertainty is around the path of inflation. And that is also going to carry over into the path of the equity market. Goldman does expect inflation to come down and to see some of these pressures ease over the course of the next six to 12 months. So if that does happen, we can expect the volatility to decline somewhat. So the expectation from Goldman Sachs economics is that the core PCE rate of increase would be going from around 4.9% at this time to around 2.7% at the end of 2023. And that trajectory, to the extent that the rate of inflation decelerates from close to 5% to a little roughly 3%, that path, if that's the actual path that the inflation rate transpires, equity prices will do okay. And that won't be clear really until sometime in the middle part of 2023. And I think that's the uncertainty is at least lasting for at least another six months. David, thanks so much for joining us and talking us through this very volatile market. Thanks, Allison. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, which was recorded on Thursday, October 6th. If you enjoyed this show, we hope you follow on your platform of choice and tune in next week for another episode. Make sure to share and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you'd like to learn more, visit GS.com and sign up for Briefings, a weekly newsletter from Goldman Sachs about trends shaping markets, industries, and the global economy. 
All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.